I'm Laura Bonnell, and this is the Living with Cystic Fibrosis podcast coming to you from Detroit. Please subscribe and even rate and comment on our podcasts when it moves you. I learn something new with every podcast, and I'm always inspired by the people that are showcased here. We don't give medical advice. You need to connect with your doctor for that. I hope that this Living with Cystic Fibrosis podcast educates you and sparks some volunteering or advocacy. The CF community needs people like you. Thanks to our sponsors, Beatrice, Genentech, and Vertex for their support. Karen McEwen's daughter, Elena, is 20 years old now, and it's been a complex journey from birth to today. Elena suffers from a rare incurable disease called primary ciliary dyskinesia, or PCD. And this is the first podcast that is not about cystic fibrosis specifically, although you will see the connection here. It's about chronic illness and a mom connecting and parents doing all that they can for their children. Karen also has a younger daughter, Madison, who does not have a rare disease. And Karen is a strong person who is sharing her heart and this challenging journey that she's been on with her daughter. And we did bond over chronic illness. My brother's wife, Lisa, actually connected us. We met in a Starbucks for the first time and we could not stop talking for hours. So moms who have kids with a chronic illness, we all have so much in common. And that is why I wanted to talk with Karen during this podcast to share We share all the same things, even though it's a different disease. Karen, thank you so much for joining us and talking. I'm excited to have you on this podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. The first thing I wanted to talk about was your diagnosis journey. You and I both know diagnosing a rare disease could take up to seven years. How was your journey with Elena and her PCD diagnosis. Well, when Elena was born, her first sound was a cough. She did not cry. She coughed. And I always say that was my first mother's intuition was that there was something wrong with her. And when she was born, the doctors listened to her and they said that her lungs were you know, chunky and junky, but that was probably from the amniotic fluid and that she would be okay. 24 hours later, we had our first pediatrician appointment and they said the same thing. Her lungs were still a little chunky, but she would be all right and to come back the next day. Came back the next day, they sent us to Beaumont Emergency to have her lungs x-rayed and have her checked out her Pulse ox level was low, which I had no idea what that meant. Uh, she was wheezing, which she was only about 72 hours old. Couldn't believe that either, that this little baby had all these health problems. So we started our journey. First, they thought it was asthma, which again, it was surprised with the little baby that she could have asthma. Then they thought it was cystic fibrosis. She was tested multiple times for cystic fibrosis. She did have one cystic fibrosis mutation but the sweat test was normal. So they thought, well, possibly maybe this one mutation was causing it. Wasn't likely, but it was a possibility. Then they thought, well, she could have a fistula in her trachea or she could have a laryngeal cleft. So tested her for these, tested her for many of these um, at various hospitals in Michigan. 
and we just weren't getting anywhere. And she was just getting sicker and sicker and sicker. If we weren't at the doctor's office, she was hospitalized um, and just getting very frustrated that we couldn't figure out what was going on. So we were just brainstorming one day with her doctor and he said, you know, she's not on a good path here. We need to figure this out. Um, he suggested it has to be one of two things. It's either this disease called primary ciliary dyskinesia or it's a laryngeal cleft. She had been tested for both of these at various hospitals throughout Michigan without a definitive answer. So we went to Boston Children's Hospital where they did find a laryngeal cleft. And we had that appointment first. And Elena was three years old at this time. And we thought, well, that solves all of the answers. You know, we'll get the cleft fixed and then she should be okay and these problems should go away. So this cleft is in the larynx, is that correct? Correct. There was a hole in her larynx. So um, it was just like an internal birth defect, which will actually come into play a little bit with the PCD diagnosis. But at the time, we didn't know that. So I had also had an appointment set up at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. They're the leaders in PCD research to have her tested for that. And so Elena's team of doctors here in Michigan, they're like, oh, we're even going to go to North Carolina because this is the answer right here. And there is absolutely no way, there is no way that this child can have a CF carrier, a laryngeal cleft, and PCD. There's just no way she can have all of these. And I said, for peace of mind, we have the appointment, we're going to go. Because just deep down in my heart, I just knew that she had it. So we traveled to North Carolina after our trip to Boston, and they did the testing and everything, and it took a few months uh, to get those results back. And when she was four, we had the confirmation that she did have PCD. She did have all three things. And isn't it incredible? As a mom, I mean, it's not surprising, but you drove to get this diagnosis. You were the leader of it and didn't let anyone steer you away from it. It is because of you that Elena was correctly diagnosed. And to hear you talk about everything that you and I, in regard to chronic illness, didn't know when they were born, right? The lingo and the language and the scientific knowledge we have now compared to when our girls were born, it's incredible. It is. I often reflect about our journey because Alina is 20 years old now and she was my first child. So here I am, a new mom. I have no idea what I'm doing. I am doing my best. And I just felt like I was constantly failing her because she was sick all the time. And no matter what I did, she was sick. And it was just very frustrating and it was very scary because she was very, very sick. I mean, I would go into her room sometimes and she's gasping for air and struggling to breathe. And I'm picking her up and, you know, going to the emergency room constantly, just not knowing what to do. It was just beyond overwhelming is what it was. I mean, thankfully, she had a strong will to live and she was a fighter and 
you know, I said she just stuck by me all the time. I used just when she was a baby, I would just tell her like, hang on, I'm trying to figure this out. You know, we will figure this out. But it was unbelievable. (laughs) I think that the really hard difference between you and I in regard to dealing with children with a chronic illness is that I had a diagnosis pretty early at three months. You went years. It's so hard. I had a you know short three months, but you're trying to figure it out because you know things don't make sense. I really can't imagine going for years. Three months seemed like years to me, just trying to figure it out. So if I had to actually go years, I mean, what did that do to you? How did you handle that uncertainty? Um, I mean, it was rough. There were many dark, dark days, you know, a lot of tears shed. But at the end of the day, I had this little tiny life that depended on me and giving up wasn't an option. You know, there were times where, you know, I just disagreed with the doctors. And again, I didn't know that there are a lot of things I didn't know because again, I was a first time mom. None of my nieces or nephews have this. Nobody in my family is chronically sick. Nobody has this disease. And I couldn't even say the name of the disease when it was first brought up. I couldn't spell it. And it was just, I don't know. I just deep down inside, I thought this little baby, you know, deserves better. We need to figure this out. And there's a lot of things if I could redo it, I would redo it. But there were so many people that told me I was overreacting and I was being too overprotective of her. Kids get sick. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, kids get sick, but my kid is in the hospital all the time. I pulled myself away from a lot of people and just lost a lot of friendships because I didn't feel that they were supportive and I didn't need the negativity. I needed somebody to help me. And it just, it wasn't there. And even in the medical community, because 20 years later, it's getting a little bit well-known. They've actually found some mutations, but even back then, you know, I'm going to these doctors for help, basically pleading them for help, you know, and a couple of them were accusing me that I was making her sick. Um, it wasn't formalized. Thankfully, they didn't formalize the Munchausen by proxy against me. But there were two doctors that were questioning me that I was making her sick because they couldn't figure it out. And so I thought, oh, great, here I am trying to protect my child and get her in a better place. And now they're coming at me and now I have to protect myself so I can continue to protect my child. It was just the most overwhelming experience that I ever had. Um, At the end of the day, Elena's pulmonary doctor that has been with us since she was two years old, I would say he's just been great throughout this whole thing. He's been really helpful and uh, we've just gone to him for guidance for everything. That is wonderful. And yeah, I was going to ask you, Did you ever have self-doubt because those doctors were coming at you? I didn't have self-doubt. I knew that I wasn't doing anything out of the ordinary for her. I was just feeding her. I was having a problem nursing her. Uh, We went to bottles. I tried every bottle that was out there. Everything that the doctors had told me to do, I tried. We tried, you know, the food allergy. You know, I was trying a gluten-free diet with her. I made all of her baby food so that way I could control exactly what she was eating. Maybe something I was giving her was making her sick. 
you know, when the doctors kept questioning me like, oh, well, she would be in the hospital. And then when she goes home, she's fine, but she's home for 24 to 72 hours and then she's sick and then you're bringing her back again. And I said, I know I'm very frustrated about that. And the only difference between what's happening at the hospital and what's happening at home is one, I didn't have an oxygen tank for her. And two, she didn't have a pick line or a port for IV antibiotics. So I was asking them, is that something I need? Is that something I should be doing? Because I'm giving her breathing treatments every three hours. I'm giving her all of the oral meds. I'm giving her the chest percussion therapy. I mean, she was treated like a cystic fibrosis patient. And they were just like, well, no, we just don't understand it. They're like, well, I don't know. Like, do you have pets? And at the time, we did not have pets. Don't have pets. And they're like, was your house clean? Yes, my house is clean. I mean, it was just constant, like, coming at me like I was doing something to her to make her this sick. And that was beyond frustrating. Right. I was going to say, how do you stay sane in those moments in that time? I would be so angry and I would be so hurt and I would be crying and I would have so many emotions. All of the above. (laughs) I had all of the above. Yes, I was angry. I was angry at everybody. I was angry at people who told me, oh, I was overreacting or I was just, it didn't matter what people said to me because I was angry because they didn't understand. They didn't get it. Yeah. I mean, there were times where I would just be so tired because I felt like I couldn't sleep. There was one case that happened when Elena was, I think she was three months old. She had just been in the hospital for 10 days. We had come home and she was in her, she could never sleep in her crib. She couldn't sleep on her back because there was some type of problem. She was always choking and whatnot. So she was sleeping in her baby carrier. And I remember I was folding laundry in my room. And I just remember like, I'm just going to lay down for five minutes. I'm just going to lay down for five minutes because I'm so tired. I hadn't slept pretty much since I had her. I woke up two hours later and I like jumped out of bed and I ran into her room and she's in her little carrier gasping like her eyes were wide and she's gasping and I'm like oh my god like how long has she been like this like is she not getting air like does she have brain damage now I'm freaking out again throw her in the car you know run into Beaumont screaming for help because she's gasping for air and it was that day marked like I would never sleep more than an hour or two at a time because I would just instantly wake up Or I would sleep on her floor because she would just get sick so constantly. And unless you're living in it and you're in it, when I would explain it to people, there would be no way that they could understand. And I would get angry about that. And that's not on them. That was just on me. But I was just angry at everybody. I was angry with all these people that had these, you know, multiple kids and none of them were sick and they could go out and do these things and their kids could go to school. Elena couldn't go to preschool because she was so sick all the time. There was no way. I wasn't even sure how she was going to go to school. So there was. There was just a lot of anger. There was, like I said, millions and millions of tears shed. It was just, I don't know. I I look back now. I was younger then. So, you know, I had the stamina to do it, to not sleep those days. But, I mean, it was just, it was beyond rough. And it was just heartbreaking and scary. You know, I don't think people mean harm, but I think they want everything to be quote, normal, right? I think they want you to say, how are you? Everything's fine, right? right? That's the standard lie of because it makes other people feel comfortable. And I have to say that I did that to the extreme because I just thought 
no one really wants to hear about what's going on. No one wants to know that I went to one event for one kid because I just left the University of Michigan to drive 45 minutes while my other kids in the hospital to go to this event and act like nothing's wrong. No one even knows the other child's in the hospital. I go there like, hey, hey, everything's great. I leave. I go back to the hospital. I did that for so long. It was probably to my detriment. Mm -hmm. I probably should have spoke more truth about all the struggles that we were going through. But as you're saying, then you you get into a whole different sympathy or weirdness almost. I mean, it was definitely more extreme for you. And I mean that in the sweetest way, because you had people coming at you and, and all of that. But does that resonate with you? Does that make sense to you? It does, because how you tried to sugarcoat it and make sure everything was okay. Yeah, I didn't do that. And I think that I've lost a lot of friendships and lost a lot of relationships in my life because I didn't sugarcoat it. And you didn't need to. I am definitely not <laughs> saying that. Yeah. I think yeah. that I shouldn't have sugarcoated it that much is what I'm saying. I am not judging you at all. Oh, no, 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 I don't think so. I'm just saying that, right, we just, we handled it, you know, a little bit differently. And I think people were just kind of sick of hearing about it. I think they were just kind of sick of hearing about like, oh, Elena's sick again, or, you know, here's Karen again crying, you know, she's always crying. And they're like, okay, I just don't want to be a part of this anymore, you know. And also when Elena was little, I did try to have her have play dates or, you know, go out and do things with friends. And she was just sick all the time and it just wasn't worth it. So I would cancel all the time. And then you cancel so many times and people just stop calling. And so then just everything just continuously fell apart. And our life was revolving around going to U of M. Um, Elena's team of doctors, um, we switched so when she was two years old, we started going to U of M and she's been going there ever since. And that's really been, you know, our support. Mm -hmm. And I guess being in the medical community, I mean, they would understand. I would say, you know, they were probably the most compassionate. Right. And I think it's a hard dance. I think between the way you and I did it, it is a hard dance. Like you're trying to figure out everything because you do want to tell everybody um, what's going on. and. People do misjudge how maybe you missed something or I missed an event or I didn't want to go out with friends. I am exhausted, right? right? You're exhausted. We're emotionally drained. Right. It's so much. Right. And, you know, as she went through the years, that anger persisted because, you know, she did start public school and we would have to get up an hour before all the other kids. And we would have to do, you know, we would have to do those breathing treatments. And we did the chest therapy and that would take an hour. And then sometimes during lunch, I would have to go up to the school and I would have to give her breathing treatments. And then when she got home from school, I would have to give her breathing treatments and more chest therapy. And before she went to bed, like we could just never get up and go. I mean, we had to stay on that schedule. A few times I'm like, okay, we'll just throw caution to the wind and we'll get up and go. Well, it came back to bite me because I'm like, okay, well, now she's sick and she's struggling to breathe. We shouldn't have done that. And this is why I wanted to do this podcast with you because it's important for everyone to see 
that we're all the same in chronic illness, right? It's the same challenges. Right. And one thing, and I don't know if you've experienced this with your daughter, but I know with Alina, outside she looks normal. Mm -hmm. She looks normal on the outside. She never had failure to thrive. And so a lot of times I think people just saw, Karen's exaggerating. Alina looks fine. Like she's okay. But if you get up close to her, even to this day, you can hear her wheeze. You know, she now has hearing aids because um, the disease has stolen her hearing. So that's really kind of the only thing where she's at right now. But I got that a lot. People would look at her and think, wow, there's something not adding up here because she looks okay. She looks healthy. She doesn't have a physical disability. Like you can't see her disability. You can hear it, right? but you can't see her disability. It's like that invisible disease Correct. Situation that everyone says about CF. Correct. And we know like people can't, shouldn't judge from just looking at someone because, and we've talked about this before, because you have no idea. And what did this do to Elena mentally then and how is she now? Um, Well, through the years, I tried to shelter her as much as possible with her not being invited to a lot of things. Um, I just tried to, I don't know, tried to include her as much as possible. She always had wanted to play soccer. She wanted to play sports. And, you know, these kids were starting to play sports in preschool. And I don't know, fourth grade came around and she was still talking about playing soccer. And her doctor's like, well, I guess just let's give it a try and see what happens. So I'm like, okay. So signed her up. And probably the first couple seasons, she played okay. But after that, she just, you know, this disease is every second of every day eating at her lung function. So a couple of years into playing soccer, she couldn't even run up and down the field anymore. But she liked being with the other kids and she liked playing soccer. So I'm like, okay, how about playing goalie? You know, you don't have to quit soccer completely, but let's talk to the coach about playing goalie. And so she was like, okay, let's do that. So we signed her up for like goalie lessons and things like that. Um she tried playing an instrument. I think she tried playing the trumpet one year. And she's like, yeah, this isn't going to work. <laughs> so like, okay, we, we gave it a try. Now we know. So we went ahead and, you know, tried the violin and she played piano. So she played some other instruments. So anything she wanted to do, I didn't respond with no. Usually I'm, if I wasn't sure what to do, my first go-to was her pulmonary doctor. We see Dr. Mark Hershenson at um, Mott Children's Hospital at U of M. And I would, you know, ask him for his guidance. And if we would try it, if we didn't work, well, then, you know, what else can we do? You know, how else can we manage this? So we tried that a lot. So throughout the years, you know, like I said, Elena's now 20 and she's angry and frustrated, but she's also determined. She's determined to succeed. She has a drive to really go forward and not let this disease knock her down. She just keeps plowing forward. And that is an incredible part of anybody who has a chronic illness. You go through so much constantly, and yet both you and I have found that they are the hardest working and want to live more than people can imagine. They're such fighters, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this kid has been through the rare. She's been hospitalized. We were trying to count it the other day. I think it's over 50 times. I mean, or no, 
hospitalized over a hundred times and she's had 50 procedures done to her. Those were the counts. A majority of those procedures have been bronchoscopies, um, ear tube surgeries, the laryngeal cleft surgery. She had her tonsils and adenoids out, but a lot of bronchoscopies. So she's had over 50 procedures done to her and she's been hospitalized over a hundred times. The majority of those hospitalizations have been bronchitis and pneumonia. And she just, you know, she had to get hearing aids a few years ago. That was her decision. She didn't want to do the ear tube surgeries anymore. Her ears are very sensitive and it was getting very painful. So she decided on her own, it was time to get hearing aids. Um, So she went ahead and did that. And just recently after her last hospitalization, she did have to get a handicap parking pass so she could park closer to the classroom buildings at school, you know, and she has her rough days. She has her dark days and, you know, I'm her sounding board and she can call me and just yell and scream and be frustrated because she knows that I get, I mean, I've been with her every step of the way and I'm her safe place to say those things. And I want her to say those things to get them off of her chest. And then I'll be her cheerleader for a little while. Then she'll be frustrated with me. And then off she goes back to school and just keep on plowing through. So it is a cycle. And now my daughters, 26 and 29, they do feel some guilt about mom. You've had to handle this disease our whole life. Mm -hmm. And they do have guilt, so much guilt to go around. Like, and I always tell them, you know, that's my job. Right. Like, let that go. You can worry about other (laughs) things. Please let that go. I mean, with Elena, she's doing more than I ever thought possible. I didn't think she would ever be able to attend school. I just thought she's so sick all the time. I don't know how this is going to work. But she did attend school. She was absent probably 50% of the time. But we had a private tutor for her and she did very, very well in school. And she just is just determined. And I would just tell her, you know, right, this is my job as a mom to help you and to guide you. I didn't think she would ever be able to live on her own. And she's away at college. She's living on her own. She's um, majoring in accounting, which is a pretty rigorous major to be in. She's in the Women in Business organization. So she's just doing a lot of things that she wants to do. And I'm so proud of her because from where we started 20 years ago to where we are now, it's just mind-blowing. I didn't think that she would ever be able to accomplish what she's accomplishing. It's remarkable for what she's been through. And yeah, if she's angry and bitter a little bit, I kind of let that go. I mean, she's been through a lot, but she's also trying to make a positive impact in the world. So there has to be a balance. Absolutely. And what happens when she is hospitalized when she's at college? Like, how does she handle that? How do you handle that? How's the workload? Um, it's chaotic. <laughs> it's stressful. It's scary. When Elena was a freshman, I uh, had just moved her up to school. She was moving away for the first time. And I was so scared about her being away from me. I mean, uh, Michigan State's only an hour and a half, but it felt like the other side of the world. And when we were moving her in, I just thought, you know, she's a little off. 
something's not right here. And I thought, maybe it's nerves. I don't know. It was super hot that day. Something's going on. But she kept saying, as usual, I'm fine, mom. I'm fine. Don't worry about it. I'm fine. And I'm like, okay. Went home. You know, we talked every day and everything was okay. But just the following weekend, she called me and she's like, I am so sick. I need you to come take me to the hospital. And I said, well, how sick are you? Like, I'm an hour and a half away to pick you up. And then taking her to Ann Arbor to U of M, that was another hour. I'm like, do I need to call an ambulance? What do I need to do? Because at the time, she didn't have her car at school. And she's just like, no, just please come right now. Hurry right now. And I said, you know, is your roommate with you? And she's like, yeah, she's here. She's waiting for you to get here. My heart just dropped and I could not get there fast enough. Get to Michigan State. She was ready to go. Um, Got her in the car, you know, took her to Ann Arbor. They had to admit her. She had pneumonia. Um, When she's in the hospital, it's breathing treatments, it's IV antibiotics, it's chest therapy, it's things like that. At that time, we were still in COVID. So thankfully, Elena's classes were still online. So she was able to do that online. Um, She's been sick several times when she's at school where we had to do this routine. She does have accommodations at Michigan State. So they do know that she has this disease and it requires her sometimes to be absent for sicknesses. So, so far she hasn't had a problem um, missing classes, getting her assignments and whatnot. Um, Also with going through um, elementary school, K through 12, she had a 504 plan. So the accommodations were really important. And again, with the classes at MSU, a lot of them she could log online to. um, So we've just made it work. But last year, she was just sick most of the year. I mean, she was hospitalized three times last year. She had a really bad year. She did miss a lot of school, but I thought, okay, this kid's going to have to drop. She's missing so many classes. We are so far behind. And she's like, there is no way I am dropping. She's like, I am not dropping. I will figure this out. I'm going to do this. And remarkably, she didn't have to drop anything. She has not dropped one semester while she's at school. She's ended up on the dean's list every semester. And it's that determination, like, nope, nope, this disease is not going to define me. I am not going to let this, you know, kill my dreams. So she just has this very strong drive to win and succeed. And that's on her to have that because she could have gone a different path. Right. She could have a total different mindset, like, I'm not going to do anything and I'm going to feel sorry for myself and I'm just going to let my life go by and be angry. But thankfully, she's on the other path. And I would say she definitely got that from you. I mean, that is a huge part of why our girls are doing so well is, you know, because of the attitude that we put out there and you want them to succeed. I think it's definitely our daughters as well. I give them 100% credit, but I just think, you know, a lot of it is how you raised her too to be strong like yourself. I mean, I think in all of this, you are so strong. You could have broken. You could have said, you know what? She's going to be home with me 24-7 for the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. So it's important to celebrate you and all you've done to make sure that both your daughters can grow and figure this out. And I wanted to ask you about Madison Mm -hmm. 
as you know, both my daughters have CF, so they kind of get it because they're both going through the same thing. I think there's still guilt because one is sicker than the other. But with Madison, she doesn't have PCD. So how did this play, you know, for her? That at times has been a challenging dynamic, um, one that I feel like I'm always working with to lean on because I know it's hard for Alina to see Madison's life and what she can do. And Alina didn't have all those opportunities. But when Madison was younger and Alina was younger and getting sick all the time, I call it the Madison shuffle. Because when I sent Alina to school in the morning, who knows, it could be 15, 20 minutes later that I get the call that I'd have to come pick her up. And then I'm calling my friend to, you know, get Madison from school and who can take Madison here after school. I got to rush Elena to the hospital and, you know, Madison would feel like, you know, I don't know what's going to happen at the end of the day. I don't know if I'm coming home on the bus. I don't know if I'm going with a friend. There was just a lot of uncertainty because we never knew when, you know, Elena was going to have a medical, you know, flare up with her condition. And then also, you know, the friendship wise, um, you know, Elena would say Madison went to more birthday parties in her preschool years. She's like, than I did my whole life. And again, it's because, you know, the community knew about Elena and I just think that they just weren't comfortable inviting her to a lot of places in case she got sick. Um, I mean, I could have gone with her, but there's a point, you know, Elena doesn't want me to be with her. You know, kids want to go off and do their own thing. Uh, Madison's very athletic. She likes to play sports. So just managing that dynamic with them, you know, and just, I don't know, Madison has never come out if she does feel guilty that she is healthy. Um, I've told her that her and Alina are just separate people and she should be proud of who she is. And, you know, she can do things that Alina can't do. And Alina might be able to do some things that Madison can't do. And to this day, it's still still a little bit of a dance between the two of them because, you know, again, there's, you know, we're still working on the anger component a lot, but, you know, that's a work in progress. But, you know, Elena and Madison, they do, they love each other and they would do anything for each other. Absolutely. And it's all understandable. And part of the growth as they grow up and continue to learn, what advice do you have for parents who maybe like you have not been able to diagnose a child yet, you know, with a chronic illness? I mean, you just have to stay strong and do not give up. I mean, that mother's intuition, you know when something's not right with your child. And when I started this journey, like I thought, okay, well, my kid's sick. I'm going to go to the doctor and they're going to figure it out and then we'll move on with our lives. Okay. I had no idea that that didn't happen like that. I had no idea that you would be bounced around from doctor to doctor. And I didn't know that you could actually leave a doctor. I didn't know that you could fire a doctor and go to a different doctor within that healthcare system or in a different healthcare system. Because I've never been in the medical community before. I mean, thankfully, you know, my family's healthy, I'm healthy. So this was all new to me. So I would say just, if you're not happy with the doctor that you're at um, and you're not getting the results, Go to a different doctor. Go to a different medical system. Do your research. I mean, now with everything online, what a difference. I wish I had the technology now. You know, I needed that back then. Doctors are throwing out terms to me that I didn't know. And again, I felt, well, I'm not going to ask questions because I didn't want to feel stupid. Ask those questions. Say you don't understand. 
because there's just so much being thrown at you. I just remember sitting in there and they're talking about pulse ox and they're talking about aspiration and they're these lipolato macrophages. And they're saying all of these things. I'm just saying they're nodding my head like, oh, okay, yeah, like I'm understanding all of this. And we didn't have these search engines. I couldn't look this stuff up on my phone. I had no idea. And they're telling me about breathing treatments. What's a breathing treatment? I've never heard about that. And this nebulizer, oh, what's that? So ask questions and just do not give up. I mean, you will get an answer. It will be a journey, but just you just have to stay strong for your kid. You just you have to stick with it. And we can sort of laugh now because hearing you say that, it did make me smile because it's so crazy that all this stuff is being thrown at you and all these words and all this information. Yeah. And we're just trying to like assimilate and sure and and figure it out and can't even pronounce it. But yeah, we get it. And, you know, you're just trying to make your way through. And now I feel like we are, I would say, experts to some extent on everything um, and can relate to doctors. But what a life's work, right? Oh, to get it, to this point. Absolutely. I mean, I just remember sitting in the doctor's office like deer in headlights and they're just throwing out all these terms at me just not knowing what is happening, you know. So I've been in this journey, you know, for 20 years. There has been more research going on and, you know, the search engines are great. Now there's so much information out there. But I just laugh because I used to spell like primary ciliary dyskinesia. Like I spelled dyskinesia wrong for years and like, okay, you know, no one really called me on it because nobody really knew what it was. And to explain it, like I feel I'm more educated now. I can explain it in a matter where more people would understand it. I mean, and one thing I laugh about, it's silly, but, you know, when Alina was just a few days old at the pediatrician's office, she told me to go rent a nebulizer for breathing treatments. And I said, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't say that to her. In my mind, I thought I didn't know what you're talking about, but I'm like, oh, okay. So she gives me this prescription to go to the Beaumont, you know, medical care store, whatever it was. And so I told them that I needed to rent a nebulizer. I don't even know if you can do that anymore. I don't even know if they rent I don't think, I don't know. Yeah, I don't even know if they've rent that equipment anymore because that could be pretty gross. <laughs> right, the plastic nebs. Yeah, the tubing. You have to change them, but yeah, the tubing and yeah. I'm yeah, because sure she's like, to. well, you know, we probably won't need it for more than a week. You probably would just need it for a week. So just go rent one. So I'm like, okay, you know, I didn't <laughs> know, you know, I've bought, I don't know how many nebulizers that I've gone through. Right. And now that I think about it, I'm like, oh, that's kind of gross that. They were renting them. I mean, you know, you got new tubing and mouthpiece, but still, I mean, it was just the machine. Right. But I just like, I don't even think they do that anymore, that they rent that equipment. And Benson's knew me because I'd always go in there for my tubing and, you know, for the mouthpieces and everything. Or, you know, when mm -hmm. the motor failed on the nebulizer, um, that we would go in there. I mean, it was just, you know, you're just thrown into a world, a new world. You're thrown into it. And those nebulizers were massive <laughs> then. <laughs> yeah. Everything is small and light and portable and all that stuff now, but right. geez. Yeah, Alina just recently got one of the portable nebulizers. And she's like, where was this when I was younger? I'm attached to the wall. She's like, I was right. attached to the vests that were plugged in and I was attached to the nebulizer that was plugged into the wall. And those took a long time. Those nebulizers, they were slow. So slow. So, I mean, technology has definitely come a long ways. And she's just like, oh, my gosh, I would have loved to have this when I was younger. Absolutely. And what do you see for her future? What are your hopes? What do you see? What does she see? She sees the world 
she sees the world. She sees doing everything that she wants. And uh, I think she'll do it. I mean, she's already a junior in college, which I can't believe it's gone by so fast. So yeah, so she'll graduate, you know, in a year with an accounting degree. Um, she wants to further her studies after that. She wants to go for the CPA exam. She's considering moving out of state. She wants to move someplace warmer. Um, I think that actually might be better for her health. It's so hard to say because she's even sick in the summer here. So I don't know, but she's just tired of Michigan winter. So she wants to go someplace warm and work. She wants to get married. She wants to have kids. She wants it all. And she's so determined that I'm, I know that she will make it work. Whatever she puts her mind to, this kid will make sure that she gets it. So I just, her future, it's not going to be easy. I'll say that. It's definitely not going to be easy. Nothing in her life has been, but that doesn't deter her. She will definitely succeed in anything she puts her mind to. So, yeah. And what a beautiful story from where you started, how challenging and difficult it was. And even though there are still challenges and will be, I mean, she's in a great place. She is in a great place. Like I've said before, she's accomplishing more than I ever thought possible. There were many, 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 many dark days during her journey. You know, even in last year, she was, you know, very sick. You know, there still are dark days, but we just have to focus on the future. And like I said, there's been a lot of research and a lot of information found in the past 20 years about PCD. So we just hope that going forward, that they're going to continue to find out more about the disease, how to treat it better, and just, you know, help her even more. And I just want to say thank you and remind parents like us to get involved in legislation. You and I have been working toward the Rare Disease Advisory Council, and we pay attention to everything that goes on because it will impact our children. And I know we both agree that we want things fixed before we say goodbye to this earth, you know. Right. And we want to leave our kids in a good spot. So if we can just wrap up with the importance of being involved and understanding what's going on at the state and the federal level. Yes. I know you agree that it's extremely important. It is. It's very important to have our voices heard. I mean, especially rare diseases. I mean, a disease like Elena, there are so many doctors that we went to that never even heard of the disease. And I was shocked. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I'm educating a doctor about her disease. And I also think for me, like mental health wise, I just feel like I'm making an impact. And instead of feeling like my daughter's a sitting duck and that other people are advocating for her, that I'm doing something. I've done fundraisers to raise money for the PCD Foundation and for the PCD Clinic at Mott. I've spoken at rare disease conferences and just wherever you can find any way to get involved. No act is too small or too big. Right. I mean, you just, you really need to advocate for yourself, advocate for your family and get that message out there. Absolutely. And I think it's wherever you are. You can do whatever you can do. If it's writing a letter, that's important. Correct. If you can't go to the Capitol, that's okay. It can be a different amount of commitment because we've talked about this before, but when our kids are in it, and you're cleaning nebulizers and you're you're doing so much work and your kids are younger, you can barely breathe yourself. Correct. So 
we just want parents to know that whatever amount you can do, it's important. If it's just telling someone else or raising awareness, that's something. It doesn't have to be huge. And somebody did remind me about that, you know, a year ago. And I thought, yes, that is important to remind people. It doesn't have to be, right. you have to go march on Washington or you have to go to our state capitol. It can be smaller. Right. Absolutely. And even with Elena, I mean, I didn't even get into really like the fundraising advocating part of the disease. I don't know. I think maybe she was like in fourth or fifth grade because I was just in it with her and I was just so tired and I was so angry at the world and I was mad. I wasn't at a place to really be helpful or anything like that. And, you know, I just got into a point in my life like, okay, you know, I need to do something here instead of sitting, you know, thinking like, oh my gosh, no one's helping her. You know, I need to help her. I need to do more. And that's when I just started to brainstorm about, you know, things that I could do or things that I could get involved in. And again, just any type of volunteer type options. Because again, you know, with her being sick and stuff, it was hard to plan a lot of things. You know, there was a few times that we were supposed to speak at PCB conferences at U of M and Elena was hospitalized. She was so sick, you know, she was upstairs in her room And, you know, I just spoke for us, but there's no act too small. I mean, it's just anything that you can do will be helpful. Well, I agree. And thank you so much for coming on this podcast and raising awareness about what it is to have a child with a chronic illness. I really appreciate it. And I'm glad we're friends. Oh, well, thank you so much, Laura. I'm so glad that we met. And thank you for letting me share my story on your podcast. I really appreciate it. The original music in this podcast is performed by Kevin Allen. It's not complicated. Who happens to have cystic fibrosis. We all got our worries and fears. I know what's got you frustrated. But loving you is so all right. This has been the Living with Cystic Fibrosis podcast. For more information and to learn more about the Bonnell Foundation, visit our website at thebonnellfoundation.org. That's the B-O-N-N-E-L-L foundation.org. This podcast was sponsored by Vertex Pharmaceutical, the science of possibility, and Beatrice. It was produced by Jag and Detroit Podcasts. Follow our show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now.